Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast with your host, Josh, his host, John, and today we are talking about Naya DaCosta's 2021 sequel slash remake sequel slash sequel that ignores some of the other sequels, Candyman 2021, Naya DaCosta. How are you doing, John? I'm doing all right. I'm having a little technical issue. Uh, which looks really funny, and it's 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 a good thing or a sad thing that nobody can see me right now except you. And so, yeah. if anybody's wondering why both of us are laughing hysterically throughout the episode, it's because I look like Mickey Mouse Van Gogh. <laughs> uh, so, but this uh, this movie that we're talking about, what what the what? Uh, if you go to Internet Movie Database and look up Naya DaCosta, under her name it lists what she's known for. And she is listed as a writer, additional crew, and producer because IMDb is a pile of shit now and it doesn't even recognize her as a director primarily. So, cool one, IMDb, yeah. going great places. Yeah, really, really love the new stuff. This is Naya's second feature film after Little Woods, which starred Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Her third film made headlines last year as the least financially successful Marvel film to date. That was The Marvels. And uh, I feel like that was mostly just Disney kind of doing a shit job of, of uh, marketing it because... Uh, I didn't realize that it was in theaters until I saw a headline saying that they were pulling it out of theaters. So, good job on that. And what did you think about it? I didn't think it was that bad. What the Marvels? Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. It's it's a it's a it's a post the Good Times Marvel movie. You know, like they they had their their peak, and now it's just kind of a a paint by numbers thing. But I think. I think she did a fine job. Like it was, it was interesting. It was funny. the The action was whatever. They keep trying to shoehorn these green guys and Samuel L. Jackson's character, and like we already saw that that didn't work. They they had a TV show like Secret War or something like that that no one enjoyed, and then this is playing off of that. So it's just kind of set up for failure. But like. Other than the parts that she had to include in this movie, it, uh, in that movie, it felt like she did a good job with it. All of the stuff with Miss Marvel was fun, and the the like fandom thing. I enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was, it was decent. It wasn't my least favorite of the uh, Marvel movies. So I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't involve Tony Stark, so that was a big win in my book. Yeah, yeah no kidding. This movie stars Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Anthony McCoy. That's one. Uh, he uh, was also in Jordan Peele's Us. This movie also stars Tiana Paris, who was in the Marvels, as Brianna Cartwright. She is uh, in, in the Marvels. She's Monica Rambeau. Uh, she's great in this movie, and she was pretty good in that movie, too. Um, we've also got Coleman Domingo as William Burke, and it features spectacular, if short, appearances from Michael Hargrove as Sherman Fields, Vanessa Williams, no, not that one, reprising her role as Anne-Marie McCoy, and of course it features the great Tony Todd returning as Daniel Robitaille, the first Candyman. Just as a note, uh, after so there were there was the original Candyman. There were two sequels, which I feel like this one ignored, which is fine because Pretty they much. were very ignorable. 
Um, and Tony Todd had been approached to reprise his role as the Candyman before, uh, and he turned it down because it was due to the success of Freddy vs. Jason that they had a script ready to go or were working on a production of Candyman vs. Leprechaun, <laughs> and Tony Todd's response was, no, I will not be involved in anything like that, thank you. <laughs> And also, go fuck yourself. Yeah, because Tony Todd is a badass. <laughs> yes, he is. And, of course, this movie features the puppetry skills of a company called Manual Cinema, which is local to Chicago, and uh, it added a really great touch to this whole movie. Yes, indeed. By the way, I yeah. wanted to point out that uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II was uh, yeah. in matrix resurrection which was terrible i didn't like that movie but he did play uh cal abar or aka dr manhattan in the watchman series and that movie i mean that show fucking ruled <laughs> nice really good and, i uh, have yeah. not seen either of those but i did i saw that in the matrix resurrections he plays morpheus and agent smith it's yeah because there's identity weirdness going on it's that movie sucks. I, people really liked it. I didn't care for it. You know, in my opinion, well, it's more important. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, to to be fair, everything after the first Matrix was pretty bad. That's true. Like, Matrix Three was unbearably bad. Yeah, yeah. There was that thing with like the the albino knife twins. I remember, <laughs> like they really yes. tried to play those up on the movie posters, and I'm just like. What's happening? Why are we why are we playing this game with the Matrix? <laughs> but, you know, it's what I know knife twins. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh Jordan Peele was originally slated to direct this movie, but uh he uh did not. And uh instead they went with DaCosta, who as it turns out is the first black woman in history to have a film open at number 1. Uh nice. first black woman director. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And uh, that goes in line with, hey, we're celebrating uh, Black History Month. And, hey, yo. Uh, you know, so that's uh, that's good stuff. And uh, we yeah. wanted to kind of kind of showcase some, you know, some of the, the some of the stuff in black horror that we are fans of. And, and you know, and uh, so, yeah, that's that's where why we're here today. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan Peele stayed on as a producer and helped. Uh, was part one of the writers of the script. There's one joke in here in particular that the instant it hit, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's definitely a Jordan Peele joke." <laughs> Quite Peelish, <laughs> yes. And uh, I uh, let's see. Did have you? Did you end up rewatching any of the original films? No, I didn't. I stuck. I stuck with this one, and I've I've only seen the original. I never bothered to watch any of the sequels, and even then, no the, reason to. Yeah, and even then, the the original I only watched like a few years ago, and uh, it was really good. I mean, I, I I always I always thought it was gonna suck for some reason. I don't know why, mm. and so I just avoided it. Uh, but and I maybe I wouldn't have liked it back when it came out, but uh, yeah, I really liked it when I saw it. It was I enjoyed it. It's it's crazy because. Apparently, the first use of Candyman as a character was in, of course, he's a Clive Barker character, but he was in that book, Weave World, which isn't really even a horror novel. It's it's when he kind of went off onto this weird fantasy direction. But then he also wrote a 
short story about Candyman, which I've never read, actually. I wonder if it's any good. Uh, have you read yeah. it? I haven't. I haven't. Actually, it was in reviewing the originals. It was like I watched the entire original movie and I was like listening to like the way that things were phrased and stuff. I was like, wow, I bet Candyman would really get along with Pinhead. This is this has some Hellraiser vibes. And then in the opening credits for the for Candyman 2, it was like written by Clive Barker. And I was like, oh, Oh shit! What? And so I like went down the rabbit hole. I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah. This is this is a uh, uh, his shindig. Very cool. Yeah." He wrote like, the screenplay uh, for the second film, or is just based on his no, character? just just based on his story and characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah like he was just like, "Oh yeah, you can turn it into a movie." And then the first one was like very much, very, like. It's wild to me that the the crossover that they wanted to go for was Candyman versus Leprechaun because Candyman versus Pinhead is definitely an obvious choice. Yeah, it probably would have been easier to get the clearance unless the unless the movie rights to the character belong to the studio or something. Which I mean, they know they yeah. had issues with. I forget they what the did. studio was that made it. So yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, the business of movie making can very go fuck itself is basically the thesis of this entire podcast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. I enjoyed this. We'll get into it. But let's. Uh, are there any other tidbits you wanted to go over before we dive on into the the honey coated meat of this film? Well, the the original story is kind of based around project in Chicago, which is infamous, um, you know, for being a dangerous place and, you know, just a pretty horrible housing project altogether. But a ton of people came from out of there and it has a, a huge history. And this movie really, as a, as a direct sequel, uh, goes back and revisits the area, which has, of course, been gentrified. And that's a big, big part of this story. Um, but it also takes place in part in a, an abandoned housing project, which is the same housing project that apparently was used in the first film. So that's actually really cool. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, I like this film too, but it'll be, it'll be fun to talk about it. But no, I think that's about it, really. Yeah, those uh, those row homes were the actual Cabrini Green row homes. They still exist, but the, the giant Cabrini Green, like, high-rise building from the original that one's gone so they had to like cgi that back in oh okay okay that's no that's cool i didn't even catch that the um tiana paris uh she she was also on that showtime series chirac um which is basically about you know the the urban black community in chicago so it's you know oh yeah I mean, I wonder if she's maybe a Chicago actress or if it's just a coincidence. Well, if you look at the the people in here, a lot of the people in this movie have been in two television series, one called Chicago PD and another called Chicago Fire. So I think, and and I know that uh, like Manual Cinema is a local Chicago thing. They they had a big thing about like let's bring in local talent from the area for this movie, which I appreciate because one of the things that was kind of shitty about the the sequels, uh, Candyman two and three, is they were like let's relocate it, let's do one in New Orleans and let's do another in meh, I don't care somewhere with people that speak Spanish, and so they proceeded oh. to do that. Wow, that's that. Those are those two facts right there are two things 
Those are the only two things I now know about those movies, except that I've heard they suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they they proceed to be about white women being menaced by Candyman, and uh, the last one they were like, let's just go ahead and get a uh, porn tits. Let's have it be starring porn tits. Wow. Thank you, Hollywood. Yeah. You soulless bastard. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ! Like, take a take a series, which to be fair is based around a character written by an incredibly white dude. I mean, oh Clive, yeah, Clive Barker does probably doesn't have a lot of street smarts. He's pretty fucking white. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, he's a weirdo, but he's not he's not a he's not a soulful dude. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's that's kind of a dubious starting point, but. Um, <laughs> But you know, yeah. I mean the 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 black culture and particularly black culture in Chicago, uh, and of course the intertwining of racism, which is impossible to disconnect from black culture, is uh, at least in the U.S. for sure, uh, is a big part of this this movie and a big part of the original. And uh, I mean, it's a really big part of this movie, and it's it's I guess it's just as much a part of the original, except that they don't they don't really like pound it into you like this movie does. Yeah. Yeah. The original, like, I feel like the original was progressive for its time. It's yeah. time being like what, 1991. Mm. And, and so there, it, the, the setting is the projects, but also it's about this, this white female college student who's just interested in it for like cool college reasons and this one brings it a little bit more realistically into, not realistically, but like more into a place of personal meaning. Whereas the original was just like, hapless white lady stumbles into black people trouble. And this one is more about one's self and one's place in a the greater you know, tragedy that our society is creating and has created and is continuing to create. It's, it's interesting. I, I'll, I'll say like the original was good. I enjoyed it and I applaud it for the things that it did. This one is very interesting in the, in the realm of, of sequels that are, that do something new that aren't just like recreating the original it, like uh, actually progressing it forward. This one, this one does some stuff. I like the, I, I very much like that. I think it's kind of cool that they kept the title without, you know, putting a number on it. I know that's a contemporary thing. Yeah. In the case of this story, I think it really works because it's, it's a story about something that a cycle of something that repeats itself over and over. That's, you know, like a, a loop of horribleness basically. So yep. keeping the title the same is kind of cool because, you know, anytime someone wants to identify it, they just attach the ear to it. It's not a big deal. The other thing that I think is yep. crucial about this film is that it's told from a black perspective. And I mean, yep. that's what this story deserved all along. So, you know, they it doesn't feel shoehorned, um, you know, even considering that it's 29 years after the original. But uh, yeah, so let's talk about it, I guess. <laughs> let's get on in. Let's, John, why don't you kick us off? Oh, man, I'm good. So we hear the dulcet tones of Sammy Davis Jr. singing Candyman, and it's starting to distort and warble as the movie opens. We get um, some credits. We hear B sounds, good times. 
Uh, we see a little boy doing a shadow puppet show, and this is at the Cabrini Projects, 1977. Uh, movie has started. We're, uh, the boy's off to do laundry. And apparently the laundry room is... I, it made it seem like miles away, but whatever. The kid's yeah. walking off to go do the, the laundry as he's passing... He passes a cop car as he's about to enter in the laundry building. One of the cops waves a flyer outside, the missing person flyer at him, just kind of like, hey, kid. And then whatever. He goes inside. Um, as When he goes downstairs, there's a huge hole in the wall adjacent to the entrance to the laundry room. He's creeped out, you know, as it would be any child. Um, but anyways, he, uh, he goes in, does his laundry, you know, loads up his laundry, and he comes out. As he's walking out, a piece of candy flies out of the hole and lands on the ground. And uh, the kid looks up and sees a, a giant male figure in a huge brownish tan overcoaty thing with faux lamb fur. Uh, yeah. It's Candyman. And uh, he steps yeah. out of the hole and uh, he's got the fish hook arm. It's bloody. He starts, we hear screams. We see the cops, we hear screams. Um, and then we get the full credit sequence, which is an upside down skyline, the reverse of the right side upside skyline that you see in the original film. A nice little touch, nice. whatever. Music was very creepy. This is a Hollywood film, so the sound quality is very good. The music is yeah. very dramatic, but I thought it was decent. I think they did a good job with the soundtrack. They didn't, you know, again, I think because white people didn't make it, it's not full of like cutting edge hip hop and stuff that you know so they can show everybody how cool they are it's just got a soundtrack (laughs) so we cut to 2019 uh we see a couple walking down the street i get the impression that they're gay and of course they turned out to be gay um (laughs) it doesn't really make that much of a difference to the story it is kind of interesting they're the only first well they're, they're first two gay characters in the entire history of the of Candyman franchise so, oh wow, nice. That's kind of interesting. Uh, so, anyways, they're walking down the street. They're also interracial. They're interracial. That's right. And uh, talking a bunch of shit. They show up at uh, the apartment of the main character Tony and his lady Brianna. Uh, we find out that they, you don't find it right away, but after the dinner, you find out that Troy is uh, the from the couple is Brianna's brother. But anyways, and that's his. So that's his boyfriend. So. Uh, Tony's chatting with the dudes at the apartment and uh, they start talking about the local art scene. And uh, Troy is kind of talking about some, you know, like the myth or the scary history of the, the Cabrini Green area. And then they start, they talk a little bit about gentrification. And then Troy sets the scene and, you know, turns out all the lights and he's got all these candles lit and he tells this scary story. And as he's telling the story, we see the shadow puppets again. And he basically gives the basic outline of the Helen Lyle story from the original movie, how she does her research in the Cabrini Green area, um, and how she eventually, as the story goes, snaps and uh, kills the fuck out of uh, some Cabrini Green locals. uh, That she uh, abducts a baby and shows up to the annual bonfire that they have, which I don't know if that's really a thing, because I would imagine the cops wouldn't be too happy about it annual housing project bonfire but anyway so that's even brought up later in the movie there's a like it's part of part of uh reframing events in a way to make the the um uh black community seem to be at fault there's like a headline later where it's like uh 
woman dies in illegal bonfire and it's just like every year they have a bonfire but this was the year that the police decided to do something about it yeah a lady died yeah another another sign that the film is made by you know that this is a black film because they're you know the black people aren't all heroes or they aren't all bad they're you know much more ambiguous like actual people go figure some are bad some are good they have a lot of problems in their community, just like any other community. Oh, wow. They're human. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What a revelation. Anyways, so she shows up at the bonfire with the baby, but the, the crowd that's gathered has, you know, gets the baby away from her. She tortures herself in the fire. We all know this if we've seen the original film. And, uh, you know, great. So he tells this story. Brianna spooked. Uh, Tony's uh, inspired. Uh, the crew leaves, and Tony tells Helen... Uh, as they're laying in bed later that night, he's on his phone that, not Helen, tells Brianna that apparently this this Helen lady actually did kill a Rottweiler, which was part of the story. Okay, great. Um, we cut to Tony. He's being lectured by a gallerist on uh, how he needs to have new work. Uh, I think the guy's name is Clive? No, Clive, I think, is the boyfriend of Troy. No, it's Clive. It's Clive, right. Okay, yeah. So he's being lectured by Clive, who's a complete douche and it's pretty funny because he's yes. just a stereotypical gallerist asshole um he's basically telling tony you know you got to make new work you know you're, you're kind of dried up here and blah 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 and, and uh and tony pitches this idea uh you know based around the the little bit that he knows about the uh, Candyman myth that he wants to in- integrate these ideas of gentrification and you know Stuff about the culture in Cabrini Green. Now, he's from the south side of uh, Chicago. He's not from Cabrini Green. Um, and they want you to know that because it won't matter later. Or maybe it will. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, he heads to the, 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 the gallerist loves it because, you know, you just see dollar signs or whatever. So, he, uh, Tony heads off to the original location. And, uh, oh, that's right, because he originally, the guy says, well, south, south, south side of Chicago, that's kind of played out. You know, and then yeah. Tony says something like, well, what about if I did it about Cabrini Green? And then <laughs> Clive's like, boing, 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 boing. so he heads off to Cabrini Green. He sees the church, the the church from the first movie. Uh, we hear, and he gets bit on his hand, uh, swats the bee, which falls to the ground and is apparently consumed by a shit ton of other bees. I know. It was ants. It was just all of a oh, sudden a ants. thousand ants were there to eat the bee. Yeah, there's some weird shit going on. Um, he yeah. climbs the fence at the abandoned housing project. He's snooping around. He finds an apart. He goes into one of the apartments. It's covered in graffiti. He gets kind of spooked. He sees, thinks he sees something move, which, you know, because he probably saw something move. Um, yeah. He sees a Candyman image painted on the wall, which freaks him out. And then uh, he heads out, and uh, this local guy stops him and it turns out that he's William, the kid from the original opening scene doing the shadow puppetry because everybody in this movie is an accomplished artist. Um, They go to William's laundromat and uh, William is telling him the whole story about Candyman's origin, about how uh, this local guy uh, what's the name? Robitaille had gotten yeah. in trouble because somebody was killing children by putting raz- giving them candy and putting razors in the candy. So uh, the cops basically track this guy down 
and uh, murderize him and uh, yep. cut his arm off. And no, no, that comes later. That that comes later. So, so the guy that they're hunting in the 1970s—that's Sherman Fields. Daniel oh, Robitaille right. was the was the, or- the original, original guy. So. Sherman Fields already had a hook for a hand. That's right. Uh, that's right. Like, like a like a prosthetic hook. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. Yeah. The cops run into the apartment building. They you can hear them storming around. It's the loudest apartment building I've ever heard. Uh, in the meantime, uh, William is downstairs and uh, he's completely mortified because he's basically face to face with Sherman, who, as we learn later, is was actually harmless. Anyways, so the cops they, the cops figure out where William is. They run, they take William away and run down the stairs and beat the fucking daylights yep. out of Sherman to, uh, death. to death. So, yeah, that had to hurt. Uh, we hear the beezy the beezy buzzies, and then uh, a couple weeks later, they find more razor blades in the candy. Thus, Sherman was not the dude, and then Sherman's dead, and that's the end of the movie. Oh wait, <laughs> Sherman comes back. As the man of candy. Yes. <laughs> That's how the story goes anyway. Um, so Tony starts working again now. He's uh, super inspired. Maybe he's possessed. Who could say? Anyways, he's super inspired. Uh, he's really psyched to show Brianna his new body of work. Or his new idea, basically, how he's executing it. How it's all about the story of Candyman. She's not into it. Um, he's completely into He's balls deep into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he mentions... Uh, that if you say his name five times, uh, then he shows up and you know murderizes you. And uh, he has this great idea that he's going to summon the Candyman. So he's, he's basically teasing her. They're sitting on the couch. He says it what four times. She gets all upset. He says it again, and then they all <laughs> no you no. <laughs> and, and then she sees his bee sting and is like, oh what what happened there? Oh my goodness and. It's it's ridiculous because his bee sting looks like a can like a gigantic cancerous tumor on the back of his hand. It's instantly and, and the we're worst. Just to, we're just supposed to accept that it's a bee sting, or that she is anyway. Yeah, we know what it is, but if she's kind of like you know, oh bee sting, okay, gross. <laughs> Uh, so zoom forward and now they're at the art show we see like the the gallery is full of people everyone's drinking there's a snobby teenage girl there and uh, she's looking at his art exhibit it's um bathroom mirrors like the the kind that one would open and behind it keep all of their ointments and pills uh, and she's got the little printout of instructions telling you to look in the mirror and say Candyman five times then she leaves. Uh, we now see a snobby art critic, and uh, she's looking at the piece and rolling her eyes. Anthony is there explaining the piece to her while other people are talking about how they wish he would not be like bothering the art critic and explaining the piece to her. Um, and then the the everything goes sideways. He makes a comedic exit. The, the Jordan Peele joke in question is uh, he says something like, you need a morning after pill budget for your intern and the the art gallerist is like that wasn't spontaneous he had that one in the bank and i was like yep that's a jordan peele joke right there 
That whole girl, that whole character, I think, is like a Jordan Peele joke to me with the Joy Division. The Joy shirt Division and... girl, yeah, yeah, exactly. After after the gallery is over or the the show is over, Clive is grousing to his sex intern about the show, and then every time he says anything, she responds with a lyric or mostly just a title of a Joy Division track, which. This scene made me realize I've never listened to Joy Division, so I went and I listened to some Joy Division songs, and they're fine. I don't understand why someone would be a huge Joy Division fanatic, but that's, uh, I don't understand that with, like, most bands, so, yeah. I, I'm a, uh, well, I don't know if I'd say I'm a fanatic, but I'm definitely a big fan of Joy Division. I have, I have everything they recorded in a one single box set. It's, nice. It's like my prized possession that I never listened to because I don't listen to CDs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I thought it was funny because she's like, wow, what an atrocity exhibition. <laughs> and then he says something later and she's like, love will tear us apart. And he's like, all right, we get it. You love Joy Division. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then later, by the way, I was when I was reading about this movie way back when I first saw it, you know, way back in 21 or whatever, yeah. okay, I stumbled across this website that was like an auction for movie crap. Like nice. stuff that like props and movies, and they were selling that T-shirt. <laughs> it oh. was like up for auction. Nice. And I'm like, so it's just basically a generic, the the one that everybody knows, the you know infamous Joy Division T-shirt. But it just happens to be the one that that girl wears in the movie. She probably had like 15 of them because they're like covered in blood and everything. Yeah. <laughs> or are they? Oh. <laughs> it's fine i'll have to dive further in i like on on an initial listen to like two songs i was like okay it just seems kind of you know kind of subtle they're difficult they can be a difficult listen because their music is so raw i mean it's has a punk rock aesthetic but it has a you know it's very much a post-punk kind of thing i mean they you know they were only on around for a few years oh i uh, didn't know that they had their singer hanged himself on the eve of their American tour. Um, he, he, was, he, was an, he was an epileptic. He was no, notorious for dancing really funny on stage. And <laughs> nobody was ever really sure if he wasn't just having seizures or just danced funny. Nice. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, he got, he got cold feet. He was having a lot of personal problems. And uh, he was at home listening to The Idiot, the Iggy Pop record, and watching Warner Herzog's, uh, one of his movies, let's just say that, and they opened the door, this record was on its, like, locked groove, the, the Iggy Pop record, and that movie was playing, apparently, which wow. is really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> she keeps saying all of these Joy Division things. She has the t-shirt. It does get in blood, uh, covered in blood, because as they start making out, she decides to say Candyman five times. And then she does, and then she gets jugulared to death. The car, the pulmonary pressure of the folks in this yeah. in this movie is extremely high. I don't know that it's as high as, say, a Japanese splatter film, where <laughs> yeah. everyone bleeds mist, mist, you know, yeah. but um, super high pressure mist. But in in this movie, people bleed like huge wads of just exploding blood basically it's it's kind of awesome it really is there it, it's a, a fountain effect and it it really works here because he's like he's like holding her from behind the jugular gets open and then it's just fountaining blood out and he's like is this real 
I know he thinks it's an art thing. Yeah. He also then quotes the movie Jurassic Park by saying, must go faster twice, which is very distracting. But uh, that happens, yeah. and then he gets uh, more menaced instead of insta-dead like she did, and they it does the Achilles tendon, and, and then get him. You, you see screen get ripped you see Candyman in the mirror holding him up while in real life he's just being held up by invisible nothingness and then he is also dead the next day brianna discovers their bodies uh and we see this mixed in with her memories of her artist father jumping out of the window after turning back to her and saying did you know your father can fly so we see that she has personal trauma related to artistry and death and all of this stuff this is also a place where the movie starts getting a little weird with like time and when is this happening versus when is that happening uh we like er, we find out that she found them dead before we see her finding them dead it's yeah very strange and a little confusing but it's part of this movie's uh this movie is rewarding whenever you rewatch it um it yeah. it's better than the first watch in my opinion i agree and then later they're at the apartment they're watching the news and uh on the news anthony is excited because his name gets mentioned as well as it being in relation to the piece of art at the gallery so he's all excited and uh, Brianna and her brother are just staring at him because, like, what a fucked up reaction to hearing about <laughs> his friends being killed. And then Brianna wakes up in the middle of the night after having a dream about the Candyman being in her bathroom. When she wakes up, Anthony is in the bathroom and he's acting strange and locks her out of the bathroom so that he can run water over his bee sting. Uh, we then see that he's inspired and he's painting furiously, creating new works. His bee sting is swollen, scabby, obviously painful, and it's starting to really progress up his arm. Maybe not a bee sting, but, you know, a bee sting. Yeah, it's starting to look curiously like like scar tissue from a fire. Yeah, yeah, it's got the, it's got the not quite honeycomb aesthetic, but almost... <laughs> Fucking up with my trypophobia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of the little holes. Not good. I was like, oh, God. Oh. There it is. <laughs> uh, and then for some reason he goes and he visits the bitch art critic from earlier in the movie. She is all buddying up to him now because of the murders. Now all of a sudden his art feels eternal, according to her. He tells her that if she really wants to connect with the piece, she should go Candyman herself in the mirror. But uh, in the meantime, T, uh, uh, Anthony, is picking his scab in the living room, uh, his little latex patch scab, until it suddenly occurs to him that it hurts like a bitch. <laughs> and then he gets up and, uh, oh, by the way, I was watching it with headphones, and you can hear her record player must be on, because you can hear, speaking of locked grooves, you can hear the... Nice. barely in the touch but but then i was like it was a little distracting because then i'm like were they listening to records i don't know that they were but anyways so <laughs> he gets up he finds like some kind of towel or something probably that she uses to clean her records and wraps it around his disgusting hand and uh decides to head out towards the bathroom you know because that's what you do and uh 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, why not? He goes to find Finley. Her name is Finley, which is perfect. Oh, yeah, so like God. you said, he sees Candyman in the reflection, da-da-da, all that crazy shit happens. Get the scene where he's like gesticulating in the mirror, and then she opens the door, and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, uh, gotta go. And he like bolts out the door, <laughs> and then we get an outside shot, and we realize that she lives in that... Oh, that building in Chicago that has the crazy, like, curved windows, that circular building that's real, real, like an architectural... Recognizable. Recognizable, yeah. So anyways, the camera's pulling back from outside, and we see her get smacked against the glass and just, like, dragged across the window with leaving a blood trail. And of course, you can't see the Candyman, but it's the Candyman, you know. Yeah, it's a really great shot. I love that shot because we're all the way away. We're, we're you know, like just in the middle of the air staring at the, the side of this high rise. It's so artfully done. It's one of the great things about this movie is they get all of these fantastic shots that are just instantly burned into your memory. Yeah, I agree. It, it is a it, it does work. Uh... On, in this movie at several points visually it's very effective so we cut back to uh brianna's dinner that she's having with the museum people uh where she's trying to doll up the you know to get her uh her curator position and um tony's there of course he's completely distracted picking at his goopy hand a la don's <laughs> he's like picking away at his I didn't hand even think about it but yeah I was like, wow, this feels familiar. Um, in the meantime, she's trying to like, you know, she's trying to put the shine on her guests so she can, uh, you know, get the, get this job. And uh, they're talking, you know, blah, 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 talking about the museum. They're telling her, you know, they're trying to sell the position to her. And then all of a sudden, everybody's phone goes, and everybody gets a text at the same time about the art gallerist. I mean, the art critic that got... Uh, slaughtered in her own home and uh tony freaks the fuck out and uh gets spooked and just says i gotta go and gets up and runs away from the table that's good um <laughs> that's not sus he hunts down he hunts down william burke and uh we get more we, we get the fleshed out version of the Candyman story uh all accompanied by lovely shadow puppets uh <laughs> so we hear about a guy who was an artist, is a black guy from Cabrini Green named Robitaille, who makes the mistake no. of no, we don't hear about Robitaille. We hear about Sherman. We do, but he's not. He's not. He's uh, Robitaille is not Cabrini Green. Oh, he's not from Cabrini Green. Oh, okay, he's from New Orleans, right. I guess. That's why his name's Robitaille. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's probably more they get the, Rob- <laughs> the the New Orleans thing in the later movie that I probably will watch one day, even though I'm an idiot. Um. It's the the second one's worth watching. The third one, don't even. Bother. It's not worth it. The second one is the New Orleans yeah. one. So we hear about this black dude who is definitely not an artist named Robitaille, who makes a terrible mistake. Of, uh, he is an artist, right? Because he's supposed to do a portrait yeah. of this white patron, this lady, and um, he makes the cardinal sin of showing interest in her, and word gets out, and. Uh, the locals all fuck him up, uh, you know, as in kill him. But they cut his arm off and they shove a a gigantic meat hook in his stump and uh, cover him in local honeycomb so that the bees will bite him. I, that was a, that, that moment there. I was like, wait, 
what? Local honeycomb? Uh, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah. And then they yeah. torch him uh, in front of the gathered crowd, uh, which has become a cycle which, uh, as I describes it, personifies hatred and retribution. Kind of. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not entirely clear for me. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, back home, Brianna, Brianna comes across his work, which is, you know, like Francis Bacon weird now. It's very thick paint. Um, looks really cool. I, I think they actually got a decent artist to do the artwork for this yeah. movie. Because um, usually... Usually when the main character in a movie is an artist, he always, he, he's either terrible or he's like a cartoonish style illustrator, but he's, his art is supposed to be really serious. Yeah. But it, it always looks like pristine and something's not right. That's an aside that I probably didn't. <laughs> Anyways, she comes home and she sees his work, but he doesn't want her to see it because, you know, now he, he knows he's, he's still a little bit in the precipice between Loco and yeah. Anthony. So, um, he slaps a can, like some loose canvas over one, doesn't cover anything. But, yeah. you know. He really sucks at covering canvases. We watch it happen really for way did too not long. Do He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, great. Is there a percentage that she has to see in order to be affected? Or what's the deal? So he he basically tells her he's afraid because he's he suspects, well, he, doesn't, he, he believes that he's brought Candyman back. Of course, she thinks he's batshit. And I mean, he is bad shit at this point, but he's also right. So she, you know, to prove him wrong, she starts saying Candyman. And uh, he freaks the fuck out in front of the mirror, of course, because they just happen to have a mirror yeah. right there. He freaks the fuck out, smashes the mirror, and she leaves. Which is probably a good call. Yeah. Uh, she's now at Troy and Grady's place. That's right. Grady is Grady. His dude. Yeah, he um, looks like a Grady. A Grady. <laughs> Uh, Troy is lecturing her about how Candyman is complete bullshit, and uh, Anthony is a complete nut job, and he su- he suggests that instead of worrying about all that, it would be a really good idea if she did an art show of their father's work as some form of catharsis, which makes no fucking sense at all. Yeah, <laughs> what are you doing, Troy? You're you're really upset because you're artist husband is losing it so maybe the way to deal with it is to do an art show of your artist father's work the artist who jumped out a window in front of you because he... okay whatever that's fine it's fine, so Troy. <laughs> yeah so now yeah we've got we've got the crazy family stuff is just surrounding this poor lady um then we cut to the most worthless part of the movie but i'm glad they put it in there anyway because it's such a cool scene. Uh, we're in a high school, and it's in the like, girls' room, and there's a group of teenage girls, and they want to do the Candyman thing. And so they're all standing in the mirror. I guess the implication is that this story has come back into the public consciousness because of the murders. And so these girls are just riffing off of what they've heard, because that's what kids do. Yeah. Um, well, as far well, as, like... Go ahead. Well, one of them uh, was the snobby girl at the uh, gallery earlier. So, ah, like, she was looking at the art piece and, and got the little piece of paper with the instructions and then is now, like, sharing it with her with her uh, white friends at school. Her cohorts. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. So, they, they stand in a line uh, in front of the mirror. It's really silly. 
and they start saying, uh, you know, Candyman. And then the one of the girls freaks out and she's like, fuck yeah, guys, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> and then she leaves. <laughs> and another girl comes in and goes in to drop a duker and uh, puts her ear things in. So, of course, she doesn't hear what's about to happen. The girls say the fifth Candyman and nothing happens. And they're like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Tah. And then they, they start to head for the door. And oh, the door is locked. Right. Somehow the door is locked. So one of the girls goes back in around. She hears something. They're all kind of congregating around the shitter. And this one girl goes, walks around the side over to the, where the mirror is. And uh, we hear... <laughs> and then splat. And another girl looks down under the stall and sees a sheet of yeah. blood. <laughs> Just pouring down onto the floor it's and like a membrane then, <laughs> it's so weird and then then basically we we cut to the pov of the girl in the shitter who has i liked her backpack hanging on the thing with a bad brains patch on the back i thought yeah. that was a nice touch yeah uh she she takes her earbud out and hears these girls just get fucking annihilated um one of the girls compact falls on the ground and it's open and you can see in the reflection, Candyman uh, destroying one of the girls. It's it's yeah. a pretty cool scene, I have to admit. It, it really um, is. <laughs> I, I as I wrote, he shows up to motherfuck them up to ultra death. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> so you know, kind of a kind of a pointless scene, but it was so great. I mean, I wish more of the movie was that disgusting. Yeah, and some of it is, but that was that was just gratuitous violence and it was wonderful yeah. uh we we cut to anthony waking up he's now basically just goopy he's got like chunks of broken mirror in his hand yeah i wonder why his yeah. nails are falling off his hand is all <laughs> withered he's got like he just looks horrible he's got one cloudy eye um and, uh, great so now we cut to brianna who's at the museum she's got the gig uh she's talking to i believe it's the director of the museum whatever it doesn't matter but they're talking about Clive and Joy Division's death, and uh, she brings up uh, how she brings up Anthony and how his work is. You know, there's a buzz about his work, as she says. <laughs> and then she tell mentions her father and his work and how you know that that what a great connection that this all comes full full circle. I for some reason Brianna doesn't see it as cool as the director does. Um, back to Tony or Anthony and. Uh, he sees he's in the hospital because, you know, his hand is turning into dried meat. Um, yeah. And uh, he's sitting on a hospital bed watching a TV. And they, there's a news story about the massacre of the girls in the uh, prep school. So um, the lady, the nurse comes in and tells him that his records show him that he was not born in the South Side. He was born in Cabrini Green, after all. Um, and he's like, well, but, but there must be something wrong. And then he leaves and goes to his mother's place. Uh because I guess he wants to find out why she lied to him. Well, that, yeah. that is why. And so he goes there. He looks super ass at this point. He's like completely <laughs> holed up and like just gross. Yeah, like um, little baby frogs are about to pop out of his entire yeah, right side. Exactly. <laughs> so disgusting. <laughs> he just looks ass. Um, he has a really weird, awkward talk with his mother. Uh, and she tells him about more about the mythology of the... Or, story of Candyman and they're like sitting really close to each other on the couch like I thought they were going to start making out or something it was really oh, I yeah. don't know it was, the dynamic between those two was a little weird 
Um, so basically she explains to him that she lied about, um, he was born in Cabrini Green, of course, and she lied about it um, because she wanted to, quote, protect him from the truth. And uh, it turns out that he was the baby that Helen supposedly took back in the day. Uh, yeah. And that what happened is, you know, the mother came home, I think it was, and she found Helen covered in blood, holding the baby, and Helen bolted out of the apartment. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, it wasn't Helen, that she had actually taken him from Candyman and then rushed outside and the baby was saved, but she got torched in the fire, but managed to stab Candyman to not actually death because he's already dead. Um, yeah. And now he's found Anthony because the story got out, which somehow broke a seal of creepiness that made him uh, whatever don't don't look yeah. too far into it um, <laughs> so anthony's like wow mom you're a whore and then he leaves and uh he gets the fuck out of there because yeah. uh probably a good idea yeah probably he got what he wanted out of him. yeah there's this whole line throughout the movie where like she's been trying to get in touch with him but he won't like answer her calls and and stuff and it always felt like why yeah, is that right. happening and it turns out that this is why that's happening it's fine. And she's the real woman, by the way, that plays his mother in the first movie, apparently. That's crazy. Did you say yep, that yep. earlier? Yeah, that's the yeah, same actress. That's cool. Her name is uh, uh, Vanessa Williams. and uh, Oh, that's yeah, right, she, Vanessa Williams. So at this point, Brianna is looking for Anthony. Uh, she she makes her way to Burke's laundromat, Burke being the, the kid that had seen the original, uh, or the 70s Candyman. He owns that laundromat, and uh, she gets there to look for Anthony, and then with a trick of locked doors and, and spooky business, she ends up getting abducted. Uh, we see a further flashback to Burke's childhood, where he remembers his sister and one of his sister's friends locking themselves into the bathroom to play Candyman, which they do, and they get Candyman to death. He opens the door, looks inside, there's a piece of candy on the floor, and he sees Candyman Sherman in the mirror doing a shh face, uh, which doesn't make sense, but it's fine. And um, so we see now that Burke has gone crazy. He's tied up Brianna in the church from the original movie and from here. He says he's uh, he was baptized here, but he's on some new shit now. He's doing all of this great crazy guy stuff with his mouth. He calls the police... And uses a white guy voice to tell them that the uh, that the killer is here and that he's you know actively killing people. So the idea is that the cops are going to show up, and he's explaining his master plan to Brianna. Anthony's there too. He's like out of it, and he just hands his arm over and doesn't complain as Burke saws his hand off, opens up a case. Apparently, he has. Candyman's original meat hook. I guess he got it off of eBay or something. He shoves it in there, ties it off. It's really good sound effects. It's really gross and, and squishy. And uh, his plan is to bring back Candyman forever. Then he puts a coat on him because all of the Candymans have a full-length coat of some kind, which I think is a pretty nice touch. Uh, and then he opens up his toolbox and pulls out two lollipops with razors in them. And he's like, it's time for the sacrament. But Brianna has used the pen that she found, uh, uh, Burke's laundromat pen that she found it. And she used that to uh, untie herself. And she now runs 
And so he's chasing her around Cabrini Green. His mouth is now bleeding because he ate the razor blade candy sacrament. And uh, he's singing Candyman with uh, uh, the, uh, the Candyman because his mouth is bleeding. Um, and uh, chases her into the that one row house with the broken uh, mirror and the Candyman painting on it. There's this great scene where she tries to clobber him with an enormous piece of metal, but it's too heavy, so it falls back. Then she just ends up stabbing him over and over and over again with his own pen to death. All of a sudden, Anthony's there. He's like, I think he's dead. And then he collapses into her arms and uh, there she's like trying to like help him. Uh, the cops show up at this point. We see everything turn strobing blue and red from the from the squad car lights. And she yells that he's in here. He's in here. She's asking for help. The cops bust into the room and immediately shoot Anthony four times while he's in her lap. And then we see her like come to terms with what's happening. His blood is all over her. And she is arrested, and she's put into the back of the squad car. A detective guy gets into the driver's seat and coerces her into telling a police-convenient version of the story. She asks to see herself in the rearview mirror. He's like, no, and she's like, if you do it, I'll say whatever you want. I don't fucking care. So he moves the rearview mirror so that she can see herself in it. She says Candyman five times, and then Anthony Candyman shows up and kills all of the fucking cops one by one and then he's just floating around the squad car in a circle and every single window reflects a different candy man face until all of a sudden now we haven't seen daniel robitaille but now his face is completely obscured by bees the, the detective guy gets out of the squad car and runs, and she gets out of the squad car because it is now opened because Candyman has door magic. Don't ever forget that Candyman has door magic. Um, and so she gets out, she's handcuffed, and she goes to the sound of the detective being killed, and she goes and looks, and there's Candyman killing the detective, and then he he does this awesome floaty, like, arms out saint float towards her, and as he gets closer, the bees obscuring his face start to fly away, and then she can see his face. It's Tony Todd, Daniel Robitaille, and he says, tell everyone. That's the end of the movie, but then it's the closing credits. The closing credits, and it's all to the shadow puppets and this great little, um... Uh, like music box style music going on. The closing credits tell the stories of the various Candyman that we've seen in the movie, but then additional Candyman because part of the thing is that it's a hive that it keeps happening over and over again. The the Candyman puppet stories that we see show the, those as well as some stories that are very reminiscent to the death of Anthony Crawford, George Stinney, and James Byrd Jr. I will include links to those stories in the uh in the show notes uh yeah you know it's fu it's funny because the they they do things like that in this movie and usually those are the kinds of things that i fucking hate in movies where it just feels like you know hey we're gonna stuff this really serious shit in because as if we don't have enough confidence in our movie to be you know serious enough but it, it works for this movie i don't know that the, the, these kinds of things work and oh, that's yeah. a powerful super powerful thing but anyways 
So that, that James Byrd death, if you guys don't know, and you can read about it in the link, he was dragged to death by racists yeah. in East Texas, uh, an area you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was camping in, uh, in a, one of the state parks up in Jasper, and Jasper is where all that happened. And, and when we went on that camping trip, we went to kind of, we went and found his grave site, which was pretty intense. Yeah. And then we we discovered the road because, you know, Internet, we discovered the road that he was dragged down. So we drove down that road, Ugh. which was pretty daunting. And, you know, it curves and then it goes all the way down. And it, and the road basically ends or his at the church. road ended, I guess, at the church where yeah. he attended. That's an all black church. And there's a little grace. There's a little cemetery to the side there. He's not buried there. He's buried in the main Jasper Cemetery. But so we got out and we were looking around. There was a lot of handmade headstones and stuff. It was it was a pretty cool cemetery. And this guy comes out of the church and he's like sweeping the steps and stuff and kind of like eyeballing like what are these white people doing in our cemetery? And yeah. so the girl I was with was like, you know, we should probably go. And I'm like, I don't want the guy to feel uncomfortable. I'm gonna just kind of tell him, you know, that we. I, I actually researched this story a lot, and it was something that I wanted to write about for a blog, which is true. And so yeah. I start talking to this guy, and he was there at the time when this happened, and he tells me about that day and how when they dragged him down that street, he says, you know where you make that turn to the left? Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he goes, that house right there, that driveway, they found his head in that driveway. And I was just yeah. like, oh, Jesus Christ. This is really intense. So, like, whenever I hear that guy's name, I just think about that trip to Jasper and how everybody seems so nice in Jasper and how such an awful thing happened there. I mean, it's just, wow. So, yeah, to, to see that in this movie, it was like, yeah, this that's pretty heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. It, it, it doesn't shy away from it. I've seen people criticize it for trying to cover too many topics but not really going in depth on them and i don't think that's fair because one of the things i like about this movie is there are all of these problems like the 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 police brutality is almost almost like a thing that you forget about it's a thing that happens twice in this movie and it it's almost like you like the characters are wrapped up in their own problems you know they they they're they're there's an awareness of the fact that they have problems because of their race that's just out of their control, but they're also just experiencing their day-to-day -day life problems, their own personal traumas that have nothing to do with that, and then also it's a thing that, oh yeah, you know, rears its ugly head again. And I thought that that was, was really good, because this isn't a movie that's just about racism it's not just a movie about like the the systemic horrors visited upon black individuals and black communities it's also about just individuals having their own things going on their own traumas their own trying to create their own path to success and personal fulfillment in the world and then also it's getting slammed into these these other forces outside of them and like the the way that it handled that was was really interesting the movie doesn't hold your hand like it, it doesn't yeah. like spell everything out it makes you in, uh, interpret and it makes you engage with it which is what good art should do and uh, I I ended up giving it a five out of five loathsome things just because I couldn't find a place 
to deduct points, basically. Like, there are parts of it that are confusing and parts of it that don't make sense, but that's every single horror movie, and a lot of the things here that don't make sense are Clive Barker in origin, and I feel yeah. like it did a good job of keeping that intact, building off of it, and and improving what was what already existed. So yeah, it's yeah. a five out of five from me. Yeah, I, mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I mean, uh, the... The handling of the, like, one of the things that I liked was the the idea that, you know, gentrification isn't only, you know, white people coming in. There's that whole scene where art critic Finley, or she's standing there looking at his artwork and she says, oh, you know, you're, you're one of those kind or some, your kind. She refers to his kind and he's like, excuse me. She's (laughs) like, you know, artists, you know, artists who come in and gentrify a neighborhood. And it's like, you know, like, we're just supposed to overlook the fact, you know, that we all know exactly what that phrase means. I mean, it's, you know, I gave yeah. the movie, um, I gave the movie a 3.85. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think I would have, I don't know if I took away maybe a little bit because it's riffing on, on another idea, but at the same time, I don't really have it. It's not like I have an issue with that. So there was a couple of things that I thought it was a little convoluted in places. Um, even though I've seen it, multiple times i still kind of get lost a little bit in the middle section but it doesn't having said that it doesn't drag um i think one of the things i would have liked to see was more of the actual candy man himself i mean especially the reveal was great but it should have been operatically yeah. great and and i think they missed that by a little bit um and it's unfortunate the other thing that i don't one of the things that one of the problems I have with the whole Candyman myth- mythology is the fucking bees thing. I've never understood the bees thing. It's cool, it looks really cool, and it is really creepy, but I don't understand it. Like, what? Why the fuck bees? You know, <laughs> like what? I don't know. That's just yeah. a personal thing. But um, no, I gave it a three point eight five. I think it's, I think it's a really fun movie. Uh, I agree with you. It definitely bears repeat viewings. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, yeah. I mean, I still enjoyed it, but there's a lot of, the first time I saw it, but, you know, since, there's a lot of things that I've picked up, and obviously there's a lot of things that I didn't pick up, because you had to correct me on a bunch of stuff, but, um, you know, so I mean, my, maybe my rating, maybe I'm rating my, I'm rating my viewing of the movie. <laughs> I give myself a 3.85 watching Candyman, because I missed a bunch of shit. <laughs> No, I think I think it's a fair rating. Like it, th- there are problems with it, and uh, like th- there are there are parts where it gets confusing. Like I had to I had to like really pay attention, and and it wasn't even until we were talking about it today that you pointed it out. Like I just thought of the scene with the with the schoolgirls dying in the in the girls' bathroom. I just thought of it as like a building thing. But in you pointing out the fact that it didn't have anything to do with it, it made me stop and think about it. And I I realize now that the idea there is the reason that those girls died in the bathroom by Candyman was to make it so that the cops would be after Anthony. That's true. That makes sense. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. It felt, yeah, it felt weird to me. But there was, there, all the things that felt weird to me made sense either either when I watched it again or when you explained it to me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, I don't even think that that takes away from it for me. I think that's just me, you know, not investing 
you know, as much of myself into it as I should have. I mean, because it's our movie and I, I took it, you know, I, it's not like I'm overlooking, you know, what's going on beneath the surface, but at the same time, for me, it, you know, I wanted it to be first and foremost a horror movie, which it is. And, uh, yeah. Considering how well they handled the horror elements, I wish they had put more of them in because it, it, it's essentially a slasher, you know, it's like an urban myth slasher, you know, um, with social, yeah. with heavy social undertones or overtones or however you want to describe that. But, um, and it's very effective at that, but I guess it, I would have wanted more of, even though I'm not a huge fan of slashers, but I like the way this works as a slasher. I would have liked more of the slashery element, which is there's there's more of that kind of pulpiness in the first movie for sure, even though it's, it's yeah. it is really kind of cartoonish, but but that's the eighties, I mean, <laughs> well nineties, whatever, early nineties, yeah. but you know, but anyways, yeah, cool yeah. movie. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's it's I think it's it's indicative of of a huge change in black entertainment. Uh, where we're basically seeing not really the birth, but more of the coalesce, coalescing of this this genre of black horror. And obviously a lot of that is due to Jordan Peele, who had a very active role in making this film. But it's not only him. And speaking of, uh, you know, Black History Month, and it's time for me to select... Uh, well, I've already selected, but it's time for me to uh, announce yeah. the Proclaim. movie that I have selected. Oh, shit. Oh, um, What's it going to be? <laughs> well, and I, I just, I mean, I have to admit it out loud that uh, I had picked a different movie that I won't even mention. Um, and then discovered that it was made by a white guy and that the whole thrust of the entire film became racist because of that. <laughs> <laughs> what you're currently listening to is us re-recording the end of the episode. <laughs> and I was I was totally on board. I was like, yeah, that seemed that seemed like a challenging movie, but I mean if a if a black guy directed it, then I'm sure it's okay. <laughs> but no, a Jewish white guy did. <laughs> oh my so god. <laughs> oh, so I, I I went about as far away from that as I could get, could get and uh, picked a movie that I've already seen yeah. <laughs> that I can vouch for as a fine, fine film. Uh, we are going to be reviewing <laughs> on week two of our <laughs> catastrophic month. <laughs> We're going to be covering 2020's His House. Oh, directed shit, yes. by, oh God, what's his name? Remy Weeks. 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 Yeah, nice. it's. Uh, I don't know if you've seen. I, I know we talked about it briefly sometime in the past, but it's really good. It's like the the refugee couple that like gets like shoved into emergency housing, and there's like a guy in the wall or something, right? Yes, that's the one. Nice. Yeah, I. I didn't like pay attention, but I remember what I saw was pretty pretty tight. Uh, also, a little Candyman esque, if I remember. That's true, actually. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, yeah. It's no, it's very good. It's it's definitely, you know, it's it's a nice mix of different elements, but it's absolutely a horror film too, uh, and it's got Matt Smith in it, so that's always good. <gasps> 
Matt Smith, my favorite doctor. All doctors suck compared to Matt Smith. Very cool. Yeah, best part. Oh, and by the way, yeah, well, I won't give it, I won't say it because it gives, it'll give it away. But anyways, His House, 2020 by Remy Weekus. Watch it and uh, come listen to us uh, in two weeks. In two weekus. Weekus. Ah, nice. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. <laughs> there it is. So, go watch those things and uh, be a good influence on the world. Yeah. And, and as always, I'm sorry. Z- 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 z-